Well, good morning and happy Mother's Day. I hope that little Mother's Day prayer was a blessing to you moms. And well, if that didn't quite do it, we have chocolate. That ought to help. We'll, we'll give you some chocolate on the way out. You know, I, folks, I think that, that being a mom, that role, that position in life is one of the closest things to being like Jesus there is. I mean, I mean, from the beginning of the pain in childbirth, and everything that flows out of that, being a mom is such a position of unconditional love and sacrifice. And uh, that, that's worthy of our honor, isn't it? That's worthy of our appreciation to moms. And I'm, I'm so grateful to, to my mom. She's, she's watching me right now, no doubt, by live stream and will tell me tomorrow that I am the best preacher in the world because that's what moms do, right? You know, I am the very, very, very best, and I, I love my mom. I'm, I'm grateful for her and uh, my wife and the mom that she is. And you know, when I think of my mom, when I think of my wife, that makes today a, a fun day for me. It's a cool day when this day is filled with good things for me. It's filled with good memories for me. But you know, as I say that, I'm mindful that whenever we come to things like this, and boy, I, it is my prayer, it is my hope that for, for all of us, man, this is a day filled with good things. But I am reminded it's a day that, that does bring some raw emotions. Uh, not everybody's experiencing the entirely same thing. I know in this service and throughout our services today have been people who are going through Mother's Day for the very first time without mom. I, I know there's people here who've lost a child and obviously a day like this just kind of quickens those emotions again. And and let's be honest, there's sometimes strained relationship between child and mom and mom and, and child. And, and you know, that just seems to be felt more when everybody's having fun and celebrating. And, but you know, I was reminded this morning, I was thinking this morning, and this isn't a Mother's Day verse. It's not a, a verse for ladies necessarily per se, just for them. But what came to my mind was that great line in the great Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And, you know, to me, that's the good news. Whatever a day holds, whatever this day holds, whatever emotion is overwhelming you right now from celebration and excitement to, to maybe grief or loss or hurt, whatever emotion is, there's a shepherd for you that wants to hold your hand, that wants to guide, that wants to provide all the way through this day and, and everything that that situation entails. So my encouragement to you, whatever this day holds, grab, grab the hand of your shepherd because he loves you so much. Amen? Amen. Hey, listen, a, a great paradox, an interesting paradox. I, I have found, I know today we're supposed to be talking about moms, but I have found in my own life that when I am most in tune with what a good father and what a good husband I am, it's usually when I am most put out with what a good husband and father I am. Did you connect the logic of that? Did you follow that? Maybe another way of saying that is, I think sometimes we're most in tune with how good we are in a way that's probably not really, it's probably really evidence of how good we're not. You ever sat around and just kind of rehearsed in your mind all that you do for them, all that you give to them, and they're not thankful, and they don't do it? Let me answer the question for you. Yes, you do. Now, hopefully not a lot, but I think that is an element that we all go through at one time or another, and the reason I want to kind of quicken our mind to those moments when we're thinking about all that we do is because, folks, there's a group of words that God wants so much to characterize our lives. Words that really characterize what it means to be a follower of Christ. Words like respect and honor 
And how about this dirty, bad word? Submit. That's a bad word in our culture today. These are challenging words. And the reason they're so challenging, I mean, I hope we can. And I think a lot of us, oh, that, those aren't hard words. But when you're talking about the pure practice of these words day in and day out in all of our relationships, what makes these words hard is they collide with living for self. They, they collide with the most natural and easy thing we do, and that is to live for ourselves. You know, if I were to walk up to you and say, you know, you're, you're a selfish person, I'm going to step out on a limb and say you'd be offended. You, you'd have a problem with me saying that. And you know what? I would too. If you walked up to me and said, hey, yeah, you know what? I find you to be pretty selfish. And so here we are. We're going to all be careful not to call each other that. And we're all going to be offended if somebody does, even though it's absolutely the truth. That 100% of us in here, we are selfish. Now, I hope some of us, we, we have that a little bit under control, right? But folks, think about what selfish is. It places me at the center of the universe and evaluates everything on how it makes me feel. When are you not doing that? When are, when are you and I not walking through a day evaluating every relationship, every meal, every moment, every situation based on, do I like that? Did it feel good? Does it advance me? Does it help me? Does it put a smile on? Oh, I don't like that. That, I, that offends me. That hurts. I mean, folks, we just, it's the most natural, easy thing we do. We evaluate everything revolving in the universe around me. And how it makes me feel. But see, these words all of a sudden say, hey, wait a minute. Think of somebody else first. Show the value of them first. Serve them first. Understand them first. It, 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 it breaks that thinking about self and causes us to think about somebody else. And that's, that's hard. We might all try to do it. We might all agree it's a good thing. But, but boy, it's hard. You know, I think one of the, the hardest things to do in America today is respect. It, it's, it's to show respect for others. I, I don't think that was always hard. I, I think that we have come to a place in America where we highly value self. As a matter of fact, I'll go out a little bit here. Maybe you find this exaggerating. I, I don't think it is. I think there is no higher value in the United States today than me. I, self is bigger than government. Self is bigger than the home. Self is bigger than the church. Self is bigger than anything going on. Our, our society promotes you, placing you at the center of everything. And nothing is more important than self. And so obviously these words kind of collide with that. You know, I, I don't think America was always like that. I, I, I think we did kind of used to have as a cultural value respect for authority, respect for position, respect for the whole. I don't think we ever did that perfectly, but I do think it was a cultural value that is, well, I, you know, and I'm not a sociologist, but I just think the 60s came along and said, nah, we're not going to do that anymore. <laughs> And we just kind of since then have just been wholly and fully giving ourselves to living for self. Now, folks, I'm not suggesting if you get on a plane and fly to some other country that it'll all, all of a sudden it'll become easy. No, this is a human condition. This is a, a human problem. It is always going to be challenging to do these things. And that's why God gives these words first to the home. Hopefully, supposedly, 
A small group of relationships where we love and we trust and we can exercise and we can flesh out, we can work out what these words mean. Yes, even with people who don't always deserve it. But we flesh out these character qualities God wants in our life. I want to show you a passage that involves all three of these words and how these words move and work all through the house. Would you turn with me today to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. I hope you have a Bible with you and open up to that or bring it up on your Bible app. Dial it up on your, your phone if you're thumbing through your Bible. This is well over halfway through the, through the New Testament. You want to get past Acts, Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, and then you'll be in Ephesians. If you end up somewhere like Philippians or Colossians or Thessalonians, you went, you went too far, put it in reverse and go back. Okay, Ephesians 5, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 22. Now, folks, I'm reading today a long passage. As a matter of fact, it's the longest passage in the Bible. It's the most detailed passage in the Bible on the home and its relationships. Let's see what God gives us here. Ephesians 5, verse 22 is where I'm beginning. Verse 22. You wives will submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of his body, the church. He gave his life to be her savior. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives must submit to your husbands in everything. And you husbands must love your wives with the same love Christ showed the church. He gave his life up for her. To make her holy and clean, washed by baptism and God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, for a man is actually loving himself when he loves his wife. No one hates his own body, but lovingly cares for it, just as Christ cares for his body, which is the church. And we are his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first of the Ten Commandments that, that ends with a promise. And this is the promise. If you honor your father and mother, you will live a long life full of blessing. And now a word to you fathers. Don't make your children angry by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction approved by the Lord. Now, would you believe with that very long passage I just read, I forgot a verse. Yeah, I need to go back and pick one up. Go back to Ephesians 5.22. Now go back one verse earlier to verse 21. And further, you, and you is all of us, it's everyone in here, you will submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Folks, I read what I believe is the most beautiful, most wisdom-filled, most powerful explanation and set of instructions ever delivered to humanity on the home. And there's no second. 
that there's not another set of, hey, these are good, but here's a better set. These are little few places where it's a little Neanderthal. We've got an upgrade now. We've got a new and improved. Folks, there's not another set of instructions that are helping people find life and, and marriage and, and, and parenting and, and how to relate in the home. There's not another set of instructions that work better. Nowhere. There's no evidence that there's nothing better than what we just read. And yet as wonderful, as beautiful, as profound this is, I also just read to you one of the most hated and rejected passages in all the Bible. Not only outside the church, but even inside the church. Boy, thinking about outside the church, did y'all see the trouble last, was it last weekend, last Monday that Kirk Cameron got into? Did you hear what that idiot said? He said wives should submit to their husbands. Is that crazy? It, this was national news that Kirk Cameron said this. I mean, you read the article, you listened to the reports, and I mean, you just almost saw the pitchforks and the torches. Let's get them, let's stone them. I mean, what kind of Neanderthal backwards person would say that today? Wives submit to their husband. You know, you, as you go through that story, you don't ever actually catch up. It wasn't actually Kirk Cameron who said that. Actually, God said that, and I... Don't think that would clear anything up for the world. But you know what? You don't ever also hear, not just in that report, but what you never hear as we deal with the harshness, the ugliness of a verse like this, you never hear that God actually said something to the husbands too, do you? It's always what it says to the... But you don't ever hear that God actually had a pretty challenging opportunity for the, the husbands also. No, 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 you don't, you don't hear that. But you know what, folks? Honestly, that doesn't bother me. I, I'm not offended. I don't really actually ever wake up expecting the New York Times or CNN to give a presentation that's an accurate interpretation of Scripture and its power and its beauty for the home. I, I don't expect that of them. I'm not offended when they don't do it. I'm not shocked when they don't do it. But I'll tell you something. I'm a little surprised when the church seems to hate that word with the same vigor that the world does. A couple of years ago, I was um, doing a wedding uh, for a couple that, that came to our, our fellowship, but they had a lot of family, a lot of friends in a, another local congregation. I think I might have told this story once before, but uh, they, were getting, they were getting married at this other church in our area. I'll just, it's within a 10-mile radius. I'm pretty confident everybody in here would know the church and know right where it is. And so uh, as, as a visiting pastor coming to do that ceremony, the pastor calls me, I don't know, two, three days before that week, and uh, it calls me up, and it's a very normal phone call, one, one we expect to have with each other, you know, here's where this is, here's where that is, do you need anything else, and ju just kind of make sure and touch base, it's usually like all of a two-minute, three-minute conversation. Well, we were well into two and a half minutes of that. You know, we're heading to home. We're getting to hang up and move on. When he finishes the conversation saying this, you know, as you do your ceremony this weekend, I'm going to have to ask you not to use the word submit at any point in the ceremony. And I was like, what? That you, you cannot say or use the word submit in your ceremony. I said, well, okay, well, what if I was reading a passage that had, no, no don't read that passage. The pastor knows what passage we're talking about. No, do, do not read that passage. And I said, well, could I, could I ask why? Well, 
a lot of people here in our congregation would find that word confusing. And if I'm being honest, it's an offensive word. And I said, okay, I get that. Well, what if I were to take just a matter of seconds, you know, 15, 20 seconds and explain why that word is neither offensive nor confusing. And before I even got out the word, no. You, you may not use that word in our church. You know, it's like God's word, isn't it? Now, now why, why does the church? Now, that conversation, that was a little bit unique and rare. I'm not, I'm not going to pretend that I have conversations like that all the time. That was, that was somewhat unique in my ministry experience. But folks, it is my belief that the mentality that that pastor and that church were representing is by far the majority of the church in America today. That that is a bad word, is a banned word, it is a word that should not be used. Why? Why, why, do, we, why do we hate that? Why do we, why do we want to ban that word? Now, I ask that rhetorically like I, just, like I don't have a clue. No, I, I get it. I absolutely understand where that mentality comes from. Because we live today in a world, and this has certainly been true throughout history, where it's not safe to be a woman. It's not safe to be a woman in our world. Our world has been set up in a, in a very male-dominated way, in a way that it is easy for a woman to be abused, to be taken advantage of, uh, to, to be hurt. And a passage like this... Almost sounds, I mean, if you just read through it and don't take any care to understand what is being said, it almost sounds like this verse is, is God giving like a rubber stamp to that mentality. Like, like God is saying, yeah, that, that's okay. I kind of set it up so that men would be right in everything, which clearly that's not what he meant. <laughs> yeah, the man's always right. Just go with it. No. But that's, that's what's being heard here. And I think what the real sadness is, is that Christian marriages, and the church have clearly done almost nothing to clear that confusion up about what is happening here, what is taking place here. You know, folks, the first thing we should note in the passage I just read is that submission is not just the way of the wife. Submission is the way of the follower of Christ. I, I, I went back and I read Ephesians 5.21. If you go back up, if you still have your, your Bible open, you look down there at Ephesians 5.18. In 5.18, big verse, kind of like the secret to everything. Because everything we would read in this passage, everything we would read in the New Testament at the end of the day is impossible for us. We can do these things, but it's real hit and miss. Never with any real consistency. And even when we do write things, sometimes it's driven by selfish motives. And we just can't do what's being talked about in this book. And Ephesians 5.18 tells us how we can. We need to be filled with the Spirit. We need to be controlled by the Spirit. Okay, so I, I, I wake up every morning. This is the idea, right? We say, hey, Holy Spirit, would you come live inside me? Would you control me? Would you fill me? Now, I don't know about you, but I wonder, does he have control? How, how, how do I know? <laughs> I mean, I can say a prayer, Holy Spirit, control me. But how do I actually know as I move throughout the day if I really have yielded control to the Spirit? Well, if you look down there at verses 19 through 21, you will see three things 
three activities, three character qualities of what a spirit-controlled looks like. If the Holy Spirit is in control of your life, these things will come out. These things will happen. These things are not natural to us. This is nobody's personality. No, these things happen when the Spirit has control over our lives. And the third of those three things is verse 21. We're submissive. We're submissive to one another. Now, verse 21 is talking about the whole church family. And folks, submissive here, and when it's referring to the wife, does not mean what is often interpreted to mean. I I think when we hear the word submit, we think of somebody who's been conquered. Somebody who's been beaten down. Somebody who's less than. Somebody who's been broken. They hardly have a personality. They hardly have a word or a say. They just kind of, they're in chains because they've been conquered, right? Right? And, and they just kind of walk behind the person they've been conquered by or the nation they've been conquered by. I mean, that's, that, those are the ideas and the words that, that kind of go with submit. But if you'll notice in verse 21 and verse 22, nobody's being conquered. Nobody is being forced to submit. We're being called to choose this. There's a difference between being conquered and being, and choosing to submit. I'm not living a defeated lifestyle, but rather we're living a lifestyle where we yield. See, that's what also the word submit means. I yield to the needs of others. My nature, my natural way of living, the most easiest way I live is I live for my needs and how I get my needs met. But under the power of the Spirit, I begin to serve and live for the needs of others. I yield to their agenda, their happiness, what's, what's going on in their lives. That's a spirit-controlled life. Now, folks, watch what's happening here. Because I've been saying throughout this series that the purpose of the family, the, the, the purpose of marriage is to have a group of relationships where I'm kind of committed to get in there and really practice being like God. Really practice obeying his commands and you remember i've developed that and i've been saying hey look at these huge commands in scripture and the next place they always go is the home and so we have in leviticus chapter 19 be holy as i am holy i mean that's the big call of the bible be like god and the very next verse we're in the home it's like, it's like right away I want to remind you the first place you're going to work on this, really develop this, is going to be in the home. Here's one of those commands about the home to remind you of that. Then we go to Deuteronomy chapter 6, another big one. Love God. Man, love Him with everything you are. Love Him with everything you have. And then everything that flows after that is, here's how you're going to learn about that. Here's how you're going to practice that. Here's how you're going to flesh that out in the home. And now here we are in the New Testament, another big one. Hey, listen, if you're going to make this following Christ thing happen, if you're really going to live for Jesus, you have got to be filled, controlled by the Holy Spirit. And what's everything that flows after that? It's in the home. Folks, the Spirit-filled life has to be lived everywhere, but the Spirit-filled life is going to be practiced out, worked out, first and foremost, inside the home. And since that's the case, then watch what God does here. There is a command, not to just to the wife, there is a command to all of us to be submissive. And then God starts walking through the people in the home and he shows how each one, not just the wife, how each one is going to submit. 
how each one is going to yield to the other. Now, I think maybe the reason we don't see that or it doesn't jump out is because the wife does get the word submit and we don't see that same word appear with the other positions. But if the word submit means yield to, which it does, then we are going to see how every role in the home yields to, serves the other needs in the home. Now, as that word is given to the wife, you know what? It's actually very common to address the man first. And yet in this passage, the first person addressed is, is to the wife, it's to the mom. I don't know, folks, I almost see God entrusting the woman so, hey, here's the big command on a believer's life. And ladies, I'm hoping you'll be the one who will really pick this word up and demonstrate it and live it before your family. Make beautiful the character quality of following after Jesus Christ. And so the first word given, the first role addressed is to the wife and it, it calls on her to submit. That's not calling on the wife to be conquered it's not calling on the wife to be less than. It's not calling on the wife to have no say. As a matter of fact, what you see throughout this passage is because maybe the word submit, it was just as true in, in Roman days as it is now, submit can mean defeated, conquered. And so to make it clear how God is understanding and using this word, he keeps drawing illustrations to other relationships that we know are right and beautiful, and good, and equal, and loving. And so he says, hey, in the same way that the wife submits to the husband, well, that's how Christ submits to the church. I mean, how, how the church submits to Christ. This is the most beautiful relationship God has created in the world. Now, I'm not going to read it, but I encourage you to write it out by the side and go check it out later. 1 Corinthians 11.3. Because God there again compares the husband being the head of the wife, the wife being in this submissive role. Do you know what relationship he compares it to in that passage? The relationship between God the Father and God the Son. For it says as the husband is the head of the wife and they're in that submissive role, so the son or so the father is head of Christ and he is in that submissive role. Do you think God is communicating there that the father conquered the son? That the son is less than, that the son is beaten down, that the son has no voice? Of course not. Folks, the relationship inside the Trinity is the most profound relationship that exists in this universe. It's unequaled and it will never be paralleled. It's the most beautiful relationship of love there is. And God is actually pointing to that relationship to describe what he means in these words. Headship and submission. So while the world may hate this word and react negatively this word, and why that word does have a meaning maybe that we don't like, we don't let the word world interpret the word for us. We let God interpret the word for us. And, and, and husbands, you are the head of the home. See, that has to be interpreted also, because when I hear that, I, what I'd like to think that means is I'm always right. It's my way or the highway. Now go get me a sandwich. Right? I'm, I'm the head. I'm in charge. You know what the biblical idea of headship is? It means that when this little unit of people called the Hans goes and stands before God as head, I'm responsible for what happened in this home. I'm responsible for this, this family unit. And the wife doesn't compete for that role, doesn't fight that role. The, the wife comes along, encourages, and supports the role I have to play as the governmental head standing before God. 
You know, I can't force my wife to submit. As you notice there, there's never a verse in the Bible that says, it says wives submit. It never says husbands make your wives submit. See, I can't make my wife submit, but you know what God wants to know? That I created an environment where it was as easy as possible for her to trust God and obey God with a command like that. Honestly, men, I know men have abused this verse and used this in a wrong way. This verse scares me to death. That I'm going to be held accountable that God told this other person to submit to me. But be very careful how you understand what that means in your home. Because you're going to stand before God and answer for it. You know, I can't make my children obey. I can't make my children come to Christ. But what God wants to know is, did I create the environment where it was as easy as possible for them to take that step? And so in creating this environment and being responsible for this environment, the the wife comes alongside and she compliments, not C-O-M-P-L-I, M-E-N-T, not that she says, oh, husband, you're so good looking and strong and wonderful. Although that would probably work in some cases, lady. I'd give it a run. But it's C-O-M-P-L-E-M-E-N-T. She comes along and she compliments. She fills out my weaknesses. She fills out where I'm not doing such a good job. She encourages and supports what, what I am doing in preparing a home to stand before the Lord God Almighty. She doesn't compete with and fight that. She supports it. And encourages it. So the word God gives to her as she is demonstrating the spirit-filled life is to submit to, to come under the headship of the husband. Now, that yielding also happens for the husbands. Because God looks at the husbands and says, okay, here's how you are to yield. Here's how you are to submit. You are to love. Now, let's be honest. I think that's part of the problem with this passage. Because the word submit is so concrete, it's so harsh, it brings such vivid images to our mind. But love, love is so vague and, and warm fuzzy. I mean, yes, God, I, I can love my wife. I love my wife and I love pizza and I love the Denver Broncos. And yeah, man, God, I can absolutely do that. I got it, Lord. God, good here. You know, it doesn't sound too tough. But unless, just in case, I might think that the love God is calling me to isn't just a whole lot different than me loving pizza. God says, no, that's not quite what I had in mind. When I'm calling you to love your wife, well, do this. Look at Christ on the cross. That's what I have in mind. Now, what was Christ doing on the cross? Well, I mean, in a simple way, he's meeting our need. But folks, Christ being on the cross started in heaven. It started in heaven when he looked at the church, that's you, you and me, you as me as an individual, you and I as a group. He looks at us and he sees our need and then he moves, he initiates. What I mean by that is Christ doesn't wait until we deserve it. Christ doesn't wait until there's some kind of guarantee that he's going to get something back for his love and goodness. Christ doesn't wait till we're at our prettiest, but in in seeing our need, He moves to meet that need and fill that need, and He does that a lot of ways, and it ultimately lands Him on the cross. And so God looks at husbands and He says, do you see the devotion, the commitment, and the extent to which Jesus went to meet the need of the church? That's how you love your wife. 
Now, if the Jesus thing is just too much to comprehend, that's just too much to swallow, then I love the next illustration he uses. Okay, do this. Do this. Love her like you love your own body. I mean, I I think God's kind of anticipating we all get that one. And that's not just a male thing, male, female, humanity. We all do that. I mean, think about how you love your body. When your body calls for something, you get it, right? If If you're cold, you do something. Your body says, hey, I'm cold. Get a coat. And you do. If your body says, I'm hungry, you eat. If your body says, I'm tired, you sleep. There's all kinds of things our bodies will desire. And sometimes, I hope, we say no to our bodies, right? Sometimes it's the wrong place. Sometimes it's the wrong time. Sometimes it's just not right and appropriate. So we don't just willy-nilly just, ah, needs, meet them. No, there's right needs, and there's right times, and there's right places. But folks, we all understand the passion our own body has to meeting its needs. And so God says here, in the same way you understand meeting your own needs and taking care of yourself, just replace your body with hers. Take the same passion, energy, priority that you would to meeting the needs that you feel and give yourself to meeting her needs. Now that means understanding what they are. That means listening. That means caring and then beginning to respond to them. So see, while the word for woman in the way she submits is submit, the word I think for the man is sacrifice. You know, folks, if you stop and think about it, submit, sacrifice, both of them really call for the undoing of self. And that's what we don't like inside or outside the church. Both of them call for the undoing of self, for the good and well-being of another. And it doesn't stop there. I mean, hey, it, 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 children, children are to submit. And, and the word for children is honor, it's respect, it's obey. Is God saying that because parents are always uh, respect-worthy, honorable? No, they're not. Gosh, I hope it's just incidences here and there. For some, it's more than an incident issue. No, no, mom and dad are not always worthy of being obeyed. And, and right now what my mind would tell me is I don't have to obey. They're not worthy of obeying. But God is saying, listen, if you can get past the incident, if you can find wisdom to work through the incident, the bottom line is respect and honor and submission always brings what we ultimately need in life. It ultimately brings peace. It ultimately brings order. It ultimately serves the good of the whole. And so the word for a child is, is to obey. It's to respect. And then look at this. It ends, the passage ends in 6-4 and says, Fathers, and I think it anticipates both mom and dad hearing this. But it says, Fathers, you're to submit to the need of your children. What is the need of a child? Especially think for a moment, I think this is a little bit easier. Think of a small child. Wouldn't it be just one word, security? They're so weak. They're so small. They can provide nothing for themselves. And without recognizing that need, what can I do? I can crush them. I can overpower with my size, with my strength, and with my stuff. And I will use my size and my strength and my stuff to make them act the way I want them to act, to get them out of my hair when I want them out of my hair, to keep them from embarrassing me, to make them live in a way that makes me look good. And God says, no, 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 that's not the need in their life. 
The need in their life is not for you to abuse their smallness and their weakness and and their lack of provision to make them what you want. The need in your life is to set that power and strength aside to serve the opportunity to raise them to know the Lord. That's the goal. Not getting them to do what you want, but to get them to want the Lord. Think about it. He gives us the same name that He wants people to call Him by. Father. So we're serving and we're submitting to their smallness. I'm resisting, I'm resisting what would be so natural to use my strength and power to make them do what I want. To using my strength and power, setting aside strength and power to try to teach them and train them to see God and, and His goodness. Folks, remember, we gotta, we gotta take this word submit and we gotta use it all over the place with government, with authorities, with people in the church. The home is just where we practice that and get, and get good at that. You know, another word, another word for, for honor, for respect, for submit is value. We give our lives to valuing others, to valuing people. And don't we have the luxury to do that? You see, if I have no worth, if I have no value, then just like everybody else in the world, I've got to get out there and I've got to claw and I've got to fight for me, for my worth, for my... But God's already taken care of that for me, right? And I've got eternal worth and eternal... I'm a child of the King. I'm like an heir to heaven. I'm I'm covered. I'm good. I'm absolutely good. So since that's been settled in my life, I'm freed up to serve needs of others, right? At least that's the idea. That's the idea, that we can serve the needs of others and their need for value. And I think, wouldn't that make me just like Jesus? Wouldn't that make you just like Jesus? Isn't that actually the goal at the end of the day that we look like Christ? Folks, these words, respect and, and honor and submit, they're, they're hard words to do. They're hard words to do in a home with people we do love and we do trust and we do actually want to try to bring some semblance of life to these words. But do you, do you realize if we don't make these words work, then there is nothing in our lives to check. There's nothing in our lives to stop. The passion for self. Our sin nature runs wild. We now have a culture saying, not only is my sin nature telling me that the most important thing on this planet is me, but now I've got a culture telling me that the most important thing on this planet is me. And folks, when all I live for is me, I break everything. I break every relationship. I can break any home. I can break the church. And ultimately, we break society. And I just can't help but think, if you're wondering about what I just said, if you can't just look out in our world today and see evidence everywhere of what it looks like when people live for self. When they're totally committed to just living for self. Folks, we're breaking everything. God gives you and me The word submit, not to conquer you, to keep you from destroying yourself. Let's pray. 
Father, you know this is hard for us. It's hard for us to do in the home and it doesn't get any easier when we get out of the home. We're just so wired to take care of number one. Lord, I would pray for myself, for for each of us in here, the passion and the desire for a spirit-controlled life. Where, Where living for others is not a good deed we go and do, But always being mindful of the needs of others, serving others, yielding to what, what's going on in their lives. That God, this becomes the way we live. Simply because the Spirit's in control. God, these are words. You know, Lord, you know these are words that if we really run the gamut on these, we, we can be taken advantage of, we can be abused, we can be overlooked, we can be treated unfairly. Lord, help us to trust you that there's a bigger picture in mind that is good for all, that is good for us when you tell us that this is the way to live even though everything inside of us is saying, no, it's not. Jesus, thank you for submitting your glory and your greatness to my smallness, to my vulnerability, to my weakness. Thank you for dying for me. God, let us remember there is absolutely nothing you're calling us to be and do in our homes or anywhere else that you haven't already done for us. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Amen.